So this morning, uh, we're continuing through the Gospel of John. We're going to finish the Gospel of John. But the way the text kind of travels this morning, it starts off with a good old-fashioned spanking. But then it kind of goes, it moves in a, a better direction. It moves in a direction where there's actually good news towards the end. And, and, it's, and it's a progression. It slowly gets there. But it starts off kind of difficult. And you know me, uh, we, will, we don't try here to kind of avoid the difficult passages of Scripture. I'm not here to make you feel good. Um, though, you know, hopefully God can do that for you. So we're just going to get into it. Um, and then we're just going to see what he does. I'm going to pray. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. I want to thank you for, I want to thank you for the church being the church that we can get outside these walls and that we could bless people, that we could do things for people, that we could share the love of Jesus in real ways and then give glory to your kingdom. So I just want to thank you, God. I want to thank you for the the hearts of the people here that you've instilled this in them. And and God, show us more opportunities. Give us more opportunities to live, live the gospel. And Lord, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So chapter 16 is where we're at, and we're coming to the end of chapter 16, and the scholars call it the end of Jesus' final discourse. He is speaking to his disciples all this really good stuff, and he's talking about the love of God, and he's talking about prayer, and all these other things. And then finally, the disciples, they they start to get it. They actually tell Jesus, "We, we now know that you know stuff, and we now know that you are from the Father. But the operative word here is they start to get it. They start to understand. At this point, they have a very young faith, and this faith is taking root, and it will grow, and it will flourish, but right now, it's at its infancy. It's, it's at its very beginning. And so they, they, they proclaim this to Jesus. We now know. You're not talking in all these crazy parables and stories. We now get it. We now know you are from the Father. And then Jesus, being ever truthful, never beating around the bush, will say this to them. God bless you. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is kind of showing us, showing his disciples, that he is in no way deceived by what seems to be the confidence of the boys. They said, now we get it, now we believe you're from the Father. But Jesus, he, he's not going to fall for it. And he, and he asked this question, do you now believe? Which is really a rhetorical question. It's more of a statement. He's like saying, oh, now you believe. Now you finally get this. He, he doesn't doubt that they have faith. He doesn't doubt that what they've just said is is not something they believe. He knows that this thing is taking root in their hearts. But what he is speaking to is just the, the infancy 
the immaturity of their faith. They are proclaiming Jesus as coming from God. But they have no idea, they have no idea of the consequence that this faith is going to bring them to. They have no idea of what the consequences are of following Jesus. They don't know what kind of faith it's going to require to stand firm in times of testing when everything begins to unravel. They have no understanding. Did you ever let that kind of twirl around in your head a little bit? The consequence of faith. The consequence of following Jesus. Did you ever let that just kind of marinate for a while and let it just kind of seep into your mind and into your heart? Go ahead, take a minute. Don't look at me. Consequence, the consequence, following Jesus. You know, we really enjoy and we love, we love the good consequences. We talk about the good ones because there are many. There's consequences that bring peace. And there's consequences that bring confidence that you are loved. There's freedom. It is for freedom that you have been set free. Freedom from sin. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from anger. Freedom from whatever ails you. Whatever is sucking the life out of you. You can know freedom because you are a Jesus follower. And there's reconciliation. And there's forgiveness. Because of Christ, God is not mad at you. Because of Jesus, he is not mad at you. You've been forgiven. You've been, you've been reconciled. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. Man, those just, those just feel good, man. They look good on us, don't they? And then we have the gift of grace. We have the gift of mercy. I, I, I like to call those the human safety nets for the followers of Christ. His grace and his mercy. And we love to talk about those things. And we love to embrace those things. Those are true True consequences of following Christ. Forgiveness, reconciliation, justification, grace, mercy, love. Man, those put a smile on my face. I am so grateful for those. I can have joy that is not based on any circumstances or situation. I can know peace when nothing around me is peaceful. Those are the consequences of following Christ. But there's a flip side to those consequences. There's, maybe it's not a flip side. Maybe it's just there's more consequences than just that. And maybe we could use words like this to describe them. Trials, testing, suffering, sacrifice, refining. Those, those don't feel good. Those don't put a smile on my face. But those are equally amazing in the context of following Christ because those things teach us deep spiritual truths. But man, we we like the grace. We like the love and the mercy. We don't like, we try to avoid those other hard things. It's part of our human DNA. It's part of who we are to avoid 
painful situations. And if we find ourselves in the thicket, if we find ourselves in the darkness, if we find ourselves in a situation that just is yucky, we do everything that we can to get out of it as easy and as quickly as possible. That's just kind of who we are. But, but if those difficult things, trials and testing and suffering and sacrifice, if they teach us spiritual truths, God truths, then it must be that we can grow in our faith because of them. It must be that we can grow a deeper faith. Can we even dare say that we can become more intimate in our relationship with Christ? You know, we live in a broken world. There's no way around it. And trials and tribulations are going to come. Hardship is going to happen. It's just the way it is. It's just the way things flesh out. But you know, you know what I can avoid in this life? I can avoid trials. I can avoid suffering. I can avoid sacrifice in the context of my faith. I can actually avoid those things. See, it's easy not to be tested in your faith. Here's how you do it. Just don't live your faith. It's easy not to be refined by the Lord. Just ignore his voice. Don't pray and don't read the scriptures. And then if you just, if you just avoid those few things, living a very selfish life, it just comes easy, man. It just gets easier and easier. See, it's easy to avoid those things if you don't engage faith. Jesus is telling his disciples, yeah, you believe. Good. And you have faith. And that's good. But you have no idea. You have no idea what it's going to cost you to be my disciple, what it's going to cost you to follow me. You have no idea of the hardship and the pain and the suffering I am going to ask of you as my disciple. And guess what? It's going to start happening real soon. And so what does that, what does that say to us? Oasis Church, 2011. Here's what it says to us. There needs to be consequences to us following Jesus. And not just the good, feel-good ones, the ones that we like, the ones that are just like, oh, and they put you on the mountaintop experience, but the hard ones, the difficult ones. I told you it was going to kind of come out of the gate as a little bit of a spanking. I got spanked, so welcome to my worlds. Let's, let's just think about a few. Let's, let's think about an umbrella of consequences. Have you ever sacrificed your finances to the point Have you ever sacrificed your finances for the kingdom of God to the point of you not being able to do something you wanted to do, not being able to buy that thing you wanted to buy or go to that place you wanted to go because you are putting your money into God's kingdom. You are sacrificing. And listen, I'm not talking about just tithing to church. This goes way beyond that. I'm talking about something called radical generosity. Have you ever sacrificed your finances to the point where you just can't do some of the things you want to do? 
Have you ever sacrificed doing some of the things you wanted to do because, because you're using a lot of your time to serve other people, to serve the kingdom of God? And there's only so many hours in a day. Have you ever sacrificed your time that way? Have you ever been ridiculed for a decision that you made because it was motivated by your faith in Jesus Christ? Ridiculed, looked down upon, laughed at because you made a stand, because you made a decision that is based in your faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever read the Bible? Or when was the last time you read the Bible? And the words pierced you right to the heart. And it caused you to get on your knees in tears because God had just turned up his refining fire and you have found yourself sitting in the middle of the frying pan. And you're sitting there in in the tension of your own personal prison, knowing that it's the Lord who holds the key and desperately, desperately wants to unlock that door to free you. But before that happens, you need to sit there for a little while and let that heat cook you. Those are not big draws to the Christian church. Hey, come be refined and make, you know, you're going to feel like junk for a while, but that's okay. God's going to do a work in you. Mm. Come suffer with us. Hey, sacrifice. Remember that vacation? Not this year. These are some of the consequences that we're called to as Christ followers. It's a maturing faith that will allow you to sit in God's refining fire while he does his work. It's It's a maturing faith that will allow you to move through difficult situations. It's a maturing faith that will keep us from running away to our homes and hiding. It's a maturing faith that will keep us from abandoning Jesus when things get intense. And it's a maturing faith that will sometimes draw us right into the hardship and right into the difficulty. Yes, we can grow. We do grow from grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness. But we also grow from sacrifice and refining and suffering for his namesake. Jesus never said it was going to be easy. He said it would be worth it. He never said that it was going to be easy. Okay, do you want a little good news now? Y'all bummed out? Excellent. Good, because we're going we're gonna to move slowly in this direction. Now, wait. This is backwards for you. We're going to move slowly in this direction, okay? We're going forward. Here are, Jesus is speaking to the founding members of the church. These are his disciples. These are the guys that have been with him, who have walked with him, who have heard him teach, who have seen the miracles And very shortly, these guys are going to be given the church. Hey, here is this new faith. Run with it, boys. See what you got. He is going to give it over to the disciples. These immature, overconfident, soon-to-be-running scared Christians. I'm getting to the good news, so hang on. You see, the church, capital C, big church, It depends on what God does through Jesus Christ. 
It's been that way from the beginning, and it continues to be that way today. The church is not built on the foundation of courage or wit or the faith of its people. The church is built on the foundation that is called Jesus Christ, and it resolves and revolves around him and him alone. And God is looking for people who would humble themselves, who would be who would allow themselves to be led by the Spirit to become not self-sufficient, but Spirit-efficient and follow God. And you see, man, that's good news. That's, That's good news for everyone in this room. Do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus tells them, I I've told you these things. I've just gone through this whole spiel. The ideas that I've just presented to you, you got to understand. He's leaving no stone unturned. He wants to make sure that his disciples get it, well, at least as much as they possibly can at this point. But there's another reason why he's telling them all of this. And that reason is so they can have peace. And it's that peace that doesn't depend on their circumstances, doesn't depend on any situation. It's a peace that the world cannot give. It only comes from Jesus. It doesn't exist outside a relationship with Him. It's not the absence of of difficulty and hardship, but it's the presence of blessing. It's a peace that comes from being in right relationship with the Father. Jesus says, you, you can have peace. I believe he wants them to know that there's, there's a tension that's going on here. It's a tension that they were experiencing, the disciples, and it's a tension that we even experience today. Every one of us, each person that's born into this world must live in this world. We have to live in society, within culture. We're part of it. And yes, we actually have some roots in it. Hopefully your roots don't go too deep in the world, but we, we are part of this world. We live in this world. And we have the ability to add to its healing, and we have the ability to add to its brokenness. And I would say, at best, we probably do a little bit of both. But, we, but we're here and we have to earn and work and grow and pay. And we have relationships and we have friendships and we have children. And we, we, we have our home and, and all of these things take place. And so by being in this world, you and me, we are going to have trouble. Every person on every socioeconomic level is going to have problems In this world. It's just the way it is. But added to this cocktail of life can be another ingredient. We can live a life in Jesus. We can live and follow Christ. We can open ourselves 
to something that's different from the status quo. We can open ourselves to follow new harmonies and new rhythms. We can know and understand deeper truths, God truth, spirit truth. These are the things that are available to us, those of us who will follow Christ. And we can experience this within the context of living in this world. The Jesus follower can have peace. The Jesus follower can have peace. And that is good news. Do you see? It's, it's getting better, right? You almost forgot about the spanking you had in the beginning. You're feeling a little bit better, and that's good. Because that's what I believe the Scripture wants to push us into. Push us to, to a place of being encouraged. And the fact that Jesus is speaking to them about peace at this moment, at the end of his life, it's very significant. There's a lot of significance here. The disciples need to hear this. They need to understand what Jesus is offering them. They are about to leave him in the hands of his enemies. They're about to leave him in the hands of his his captors. I guess in, in Christianese, we could say that they are about to forsake him. Now, let's just pause for a second here. Put yourself in their shoes. You're a disciple. You're celebrating Passover with Jesus. You're sitting around the table. He's, he's speaking this, these, these just sacred things about loving each other and how much that God loves them and how they're supposed to treat each other. And then he shows them by, by washing your feet. He shows you that, that how you're supposed to serve. And he, and he says, take this cup and remember me. And when you eat this bread, remember me. And there's just a, a different vibe going on at this Passover meal. And then you all leave and you go to the garden. And some of you fall asleep because you had one too many glasses of wine at dinner. But that's okay. Jesus, Jesus is, is merciful on you. And then all of a sudden you wake up to shouts and soldiers. And they arrest Jesus. And what do you do? You run. I'm out of here. That's what the disciples did. Then the next day, the next day, you watch your friend, your Lord, your rabbi. You watch him be tortured. And you watch these soldiers nail him to a cross. Do you think you would start to feel bad at that point? Do you think there'd be a little guilt in a little shame. And oh wait, we're not even talking about the resurrection where now he will stand fully human once again in front of his disciples, in front of the ones that ran from him, the front of the in front of the ones that literally left him hanging on the cross. That's got to be a little awkward, wouldn't you think? Oh hey Jesus. Glad to see you. Jesus, he knows what's going to happen. And he wants them to know. He knows what's going to happen. He knows how this is all going to play out. And he offers the disciples peace and reconciliation and forgiveness. He offers them forgiveness for something they haven't even done yet. Because if he didn't, if he just let them go through this, their shame and guilt might have been so intense, 
they could have never faced him again. And they would have just hung their heads and maybe even walked away from him. And so here's the good news. Actually, this is the best news of the morning. Jesus knows you messed up. Jesus knows. He knows about that sin in your life. And he knows how many times you've fallen prey to that sin over and over again in your life. He knows about all of those bad decisions that you have made. He knows about the pride and arrogance in your heart. He knows the blackness of your soul. He knows about that week and that week, that season, that night. He knows all of that stuff. Okay, so let's, let's think about this just a, a little bit further. Jesus knows about the sin that you have yet to commit, but you will. Jesus knows about that sin that you have yet to commit over and over and over again. Jesus knows about the bad decisions you have yet to make, but you will. And guess what? He loves you. And he offers you peace and mercy. He loves you with an in spite of love, in spite of your weakness, in spite of your sin, in spite of your shortcoming, in spite of your bad decisions, in spite of your spiritual indifference. Jesus loves you and offers you peace. Now, for most of you, you know this. For many of you here, you, you, you know this. This is nothing new to you. But the problem is there's too many of you sitting right in this room that do not live that truth. You do not live in the truth that Jesus loves you. And I'm talking to, be careful here. I'm talking to you, follower of Christ. Who, who suffer from shame and guilt because you are truly sorry for the things that you've done. But for whatever reason, you cannot get past the forgiveness thing. I'm not talking to you who, who think that grace and mercy is a license to do whatever you want. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But there's too many of you that come to church and you hide behind your shame and your guilt, and you try to earn what's already been freely given to you. You try to earn your forgiveness when God has given it to you for free because you are a follower of Christ. And you have this idea stuck in your head that he can't forgive that. Or you have this idea stuck in your head that he cannot forgive me Again. And even as I've spoken that, you hear how ridiculous that really sounds. That it's, 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 it's so far from the truth that God can't forgive that sin. God forgives all sin. 
to those who repent. And it's ridiculous to think that he can't forgive again and again. You're holding on to something he's forgotten. And I would say that's rooted in arrogance. And you know that just sounds ridiculous. But you don't live the truth. You don't live in the truth that he is offering you peace and love and forgiveness. You know, part of being forgiven is actually releasing the very thing you're being forgiven of. Let me say that again in case you missed it. Part of being forgiven is actually for you to release the very thing you are being forgiven of. You need to accept what Jesus has done. Accept his forgiveness and stop hiding from him. You need to let go of your past because if you don't, you will never be able to move into the future that God has for you. You hear me? You need to let go of your past or you are never going to move into the future that God has for you. Are you tracking with that? You need to let go of your past or you will never be able to move into the future that God has for you. You know, on the cross, Jesus, he made this statement, maybe not with his words, but with his actions. On the cross, he said, you know what? In 2,000 years, I know that there's going to be a little church on Sandbank Road in Cheshire, Connecticut. It's going to be called Oasis. And I know every person that's going to be attending that church. And I know the sin that's in their lives. And I know the sin that they will commit in the future. And I know the darkness and the blackness of their heart. And I know their pride. And I know their arrogance. But I choose to take the wrath of God away from them and on my shoulders. I choose to allow them to be forgiven because I love them more than they can ever imagine. This is the gift of Jesus Christ. You know, if you ever read the letters of Paul, he, he starts off with, with his greeting. And one, one phrase he uses in all his letters it's grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He always puts that in there. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Except for First and Second Timothy, he throws mercy in there. So it's a trifecta at that point. It's grace, peace, and mercy. And then First and Second Peter, Peter will say, grace and peace to you in abundance. You know, Peter, Peter was this loudmouth guy. I have a feeling that if Peter came to our church, I wouldn't like him. He just seems aggravating in the scriptures. He's kind of like that know-it-all dude that you just want to go point in the eye in the name of Jesus, of course, you know, just kind of gently correct him in, in that way. And not only that, but he, he denied knowing Christ three times. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know who he is. And Paul, oh, he's a, he's a stellar guy. I mean, he traveled around as a Pharisee hunting down these followers of the way, hunting down Christians to put them on trial. He stood there and watched Stephen get stoned because of his faith. Do you really think that these two men 
could have been used by God in such a powerful way if they, unless they accepted the grace, peace that was offered to them. Do you really think these two guys could have been used in such a powerful way unless they accepted the forgiveness of God and then forgave themselves? Do you see what's going on here? And Jesus, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. Still love. Still offers grace and peace. And some of you this morning, I'm telling you right now, some of you this morning, you have been forgiven. I'm pleading with you to accept forgiveness. Accept grace. Accept mercy. Because you cannot be all that God has for you unless you walk in those things. Accept the favor of the Lord upon you because of Christ. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. If the Lord has forgiven you, forgive yourself. I guess maybe I could have just really come out here and had a one-minute sermon because I guess I would summarize it like this. Grace and peace to you in the name of God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you in the name of God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace peace. Let's pray. God, I ask you that your spirit would fall in this room and that each person sitting here would know a deeper measure of your grace and your peace and your forgiveness. And it will begin to release them from that prison that they sit in. It will begin to release them from the guilt and the shame that they feel. And finally, they can lift their heads high and know that they can walk side by side with you. God, I pray that they would stop trying to earn something that you have freely given them. And today is a new day. Let today be a new day to walk in grace, in mercy, and in peace. We receive these things with open arms in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, I love you guys. Have a great day.